start by asking you a question. I'm going to put up a PowerPoint on the screen behind us and behind me. And the question is, what is the biggest event you have been to? So maybe it's a, maybe it's a sporting event, maybe it's um, a concert or a festival, maybe it's some sort of ceremony or some sort of celebration. But I want you to particularly think about the number of people that were there. And so once you've kind of locked in that biggest event that you've been to, share that with someone that you're sitting in the vicinity of, and we'll see, we'll see what events we've been to, all right? So biggest event, whatever it is, tell that person, and we'll hook into it. Okay, you've locked it in. All right, hopefully you've been, I mean, we're going to go through and just see, um, <clears throat> see where you sort of sit numbers-wise. Okay, so has anybody been to an event that has had 100 or more people? Okay, you're all in church at the moment, which is over that, so that's good, tick for that. All right, what about a thousand people? Yep, okay, fairly easy. Um, 10,000 people. Okay, the rugby last night, if you were at that, more than 10,000 in Dunedin. What about 30,000 people at one particular event? Okay, all right, that's good. Wow, you guys are popular. All right, what about more than 30,000? Okay, all right, got some hands up. Uh, Gary, what's your, give us a number first. Elton John, about 35. Has anybody got an advance on Elton John's 35? Yep. At what, sorry, Timoth- oh, Symphony in the Park. Okay, so 100,000 at Symphony in the Park. I feel like an auctioneer. Have I got an advance on 100,000? Anybody go more than 100,000? Oh, yeah, okay, all right, here we go. 100,000 is a lot of people, FYI, okay? One Direction with your daughters. And you were right up the front, just fully loving it. Uh, how many people was it, the One Direction? Really? Wow, Soweto Stadium, okay, that's good. Okay, anybody more than 100 and something? Yep, down the back. Way down the back, you're going to have to... Billy Graham Crusade, at one event there was more than 100,000. Was there? 1956? Yeah, see? <laughs> Hang on a second. All the people are like, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's pretty impressive, okay? Over, over 100,000 people was a lot. The biggest event that I've been to um, was was actually a Coldplay concert a few years ago with some friends. 38,000 was the, was the count, and uh, there's me and just some friends <laughs> right there. Um, pretty good spot, wasn't it? So a little bit of drama. We lived in Palmerston North, <clears throat> and uh, the concert was in Auckland, and uh, I don't know whether I was sleep-deprived or I was just plain stupid, but um, I booked the flights the wrong way. So instead of booking the flights from Palmerston North to Auckland and back, I booked the flights from Auckland to Palmerston North and back. <laughs> and I found out about two days before the concert, uh, and obviously Air New Zealand did not give me my money back, and so I had to hitch uh, a ride with some friends, six hours in a van, all the way there instead of a peaceful one-hour flight. Um, and by the time we got there, the stadium... Long queues, uh, the food was expensive, it was hot and humid and noisy, but it was all worth it when the music started. And, and the, when the concert kicked off, there was just the lights and the speakers were pumping, and it was almost like, it was almost like time stood still. The crowd was just 
so focused on the musicians and sharing that moment together. And so <clears throat> I want to show you a clip of um, this guy, Chris Martin. He's the lead singer of the Coldplay band. And he's just sort of describing how he sees concerts. So this is what he sees it like. Let's watch this. Every show is different. When the lights go down, that's 30,000 people's lives colliding for that one moment. Everyone that's there working is working for that moment. Everyone that's there watching is watching for that moment. And it's when you're all kind of in agreement about what you're all doing at that time. So it's a wonderful feeling of togetherness and possibility. Then I start getting real adrenaline and start doing kind of rocky shadow boxing and all that kind of stuff. So I get as excited as anyone else. And I still get that excitement when I go and see anyone else's concert. I love that moment. And then it's about trying to hold that energy for an hour and a half because it can go if you're not careful. On this Milo tour, it's been the first tour where I've really looked at people in the eye while we're playing. And you look at each other and it's a great feeling. And you might never look at that person in the eyes again in either of your lives. So you have a little connection. I probably get to look at maybe a, a thousand people a night. Not many people get to do that. I've never tried to explain it before. It's sort of like every time you look at someone in the eyes, you, you put a little thread between you. So you can really connect with a lot of the audience. You have to approach everything from the freshness that they bring into it. And so by the time you finish, you feel like you've got a sort of spider web of connection rather than a detached feeling, which is what I used to sometimes feel. I, I don't know if you've been to a huge concert like that, but it's interesting, he said there's 30,000 peoples in their lives all connecting and colliding at that one moment, and they're focused on working together and watching this one moment, and, and there's a real diversity in the crowd. If you've ever been to a big concert, you'll know that. There's men, there's women, there's old, there's young, there's rich, there's poor, there's just a whole lot of diversity, and yet there is unity. They're there for a common cause, for the love of music that is bringing those people together. And, and I wonder if, I wonder if being part of a great concert is kind of like a picture of the Christian church. So I'm not emphasizing the, the musical metaphor. I don't believe that uh, the Christian church has to have music, but I would say that our church does have music and very good music, and we've got great, uh, a band who want to lead us together in worship. But I think just, just like a big concert, and Sonia's kind of hinted at this already with our, with our focus on communion, that the Christian church has unity and diversity, that there is something that we are part of that is much bigger than ourselves, and we are focused on this common cause, we are united by a shared love, and Jesus is at our center. One of the first followers of Jesus was a guy called Paul. And he's writing to the Christian church in Galatia in uh, modern-day Turkey. And he writes this. He says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, non-Jew, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so for the next five weeks, we're just going to uh, look at the value of being connected to a Christian church. And, and I actually think that being connected to the church is, is arguably more important now than it's ever been. I think Western society is, is uh, increasingly isolated, increasingly insulated from each other. You just, thanks to companies like Amazon or Uber Eats, you can literally get whatever you want delivered to your house, to your door. You don't even have to leave your section. You don't even have to talk to a real person. You can have food and products delivered right there. But that is actually not part of God's plan. 
God made his people to be in community, and life is best when we are connected to others, when we have people tracking alongside us through the highs and lows of life. And you probably know this. I mean, for thousands of years, people have figured out all sorts of ways to form community. All of us have a family, whether we like that or not. Uh, And in ancient times, there was clans, there was tribes. In the medieval period, people aligned themselves along ethnic and cultural um, backgrounds. In the modern centuries, we've had things like political parties, clubs, societies, companies and business brands. Probably the most prominent in our society is certainly sports teams, uh, or even bands and musicians. Don't know if there's any Swifties in the room. Probably in Australia at the moment, I suppose. But all those different things form community for us. But I genuinely think the best organisation for forming connection and forming community is the Christian church. It, it cuts across all sorts of differences and distinctions and it welcomes people to come as they are. And it invites people to never be the same again, to be transformed from the inside out through the power of Jesus. And Jesus is the one and only Son of God. And because of that, he's the center of the Christian church. In fact, one of the catchphrases that we have here at this church is living and loving like Jesus. We want to trust in his truth. We want to follow in his footsteps. We want to be the people that he has created us to be. So I want to really kick off the series uh, this morning by just focusing in on Jesus. And if you've got a Bible with you, uh, printed or or on, on your phone, I'd invite you to find Hebrews chapter 12. We're just going to look at a couple of texts from there and, um, <clears throat> and just kind of unpack that a wee bit and what that means for us. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, uh, I'll put it up on the screen as well, this is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who pioneered and perfects our faith. Now there's quite a bit in there. I just really want to focus in on two phrases that I'm going to highlight for you. The crowd of witnesses in verse 1 and keeping our eyes on Jesus in verse 2. And so let me just start by looking at the crowd of witnesses concept because actually it's probably helpful to have a wee bit of context around what this phrase actually is. It's, it's a summary of actually what's gone before in the previous chapter. So if you flicked over the page, you'll see Hebrews chapter 11 is really a list of people from earlier generations who, who the writer is highlighting just the legacy that they're leaving, their faithful witness to all those reading this text. And so if you skim chapter 11, you'll see names in there like Noah, Abraham, and uh, Sarah, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, David, and a whole bunch of others. And all of those people believed that God would keep his promises. All of those people trusted God in some very, very tough times. All of those people worshipped God despite the distractions and the diversions that they faced. And so those men and women listed in chapter 11 really set the example for Christians to follow. And so when you think about it, there's this thread that runs from the past right through to the present. These countless Christians who have gone before and they have been fervent, they've been faithful, they've been focused, they've focused on Jesus, and they've left a legacy, a real witness for us to follow. They've, they've given us an example, an inspiration. 
But I want to suggest that that crowd of witnesses is also a reminder that we are part of a body of believers right now. That Christian church is not this, this distant historical artifact, that actually it is alive and active right around the world, right as we speak. So, let me give you some statistics. A recent survey showed that there are 2.4 billion Christians worldwide. It's out of a total global population of around about 8 billion people, which is quite a lot. So, I um, don't know if you've worked that out, but 2.4 out of 8 billion is around about 33% Christians actually make up the largest religion in the world. And um, compared to previous years, so from 2024 to even 2023, Christianity had a net increase of 44 million people. That means that every day, every single day last year, 120,000 people around the world were committing to follow Jesus, to become a Christian. And that is happening in all sorts of places around the world, most prominently in places like Africa and Asia, South America and Oceania. Those are the areas of the world where Christianity is growing the fastest. Now, quick question, does anybody know how many countries there are in the world? 190. Wow, that is awesome, Haley. Okay, 195, but there is a couple of disputed ones. So we'll just take your number. Okay, 197. That is amazing. Good job. Good, uh, good, good work for pop quizzes. All right, out of those countries, 157 countries have Christianity as the majority religion. That's about 80% of the world's countries have Christianity as the majority religion. Not necessarily massive, but still a majority compared to others. And so analysts have even um, kind of predicted that Christianity, is, if it carries on its continued trajectory, it's going to spread, it's going to grow, and it's projected that in another 25 years' time, the global Christian population is going to be around 3.3 billion people. So not only do we have this legacy of faithful heroes from the past, but we are part of something much bigger than ourselves in the present. We are part of a global movement. The Christian church is the longest and the largest organization in the history of the world. And so we're connected to this Christian church. If you are part of the Christian church, you have a crowd of witnesses from the past and from the present, and they are cheering you on to run your race, to live out that life of faith. So how do you do that? How do you run that race? How do you just get through on a day-to-day basis? How do you live that Christian life? Well, look back at that text that we started with. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who pioneered and perfects our faith. And I think it's fair to say that the main point and purpose of being connected to a church is not just to, you know, have fun, to fill up some time on a Sunday morning, to uh, enjoy some social club, enjoy a breakfast in a few weeks. The main point and purpose of being connected to the Christian church is to honour and give glory to Jesus. When Christians gather together, that's what they're trying to do, to focus on Jesus. Now, if you travel around the world and go to some of those places on the map, you'll find that keeping our eyes on Jesus takes a lot of forms and a lot of different features. But the fact is that Jesus is the center of the Christian faith, and he has been from the, from the very beginning. Historians have studied 
the creeds of the early church. And a creed is, is basically just a statement of faith. It's a, a declaration of doctrine. It's, it's a belief uh, that people have. And so the earliest recorded creed in the church is this. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the foundational belief that the first Christians held to. They dedicated their lives to serving and honoring Jesus as Lord in everything. And so during subsequent centuries, Christian creeds kind of expanded on various doctrines, but there was still a strong emphasis on Jesus at the center. This is uh, the Apostles' Creed. kind of came out around about the second century. Let me read it to you. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. A lot of stuff in that, right? But there's a big chunk on Jesus. And so subsequent uh, creeds continued that focus on the centrality of Jesus for the Christian faith. The Nicene Creed, the Constantinopolitan Creed, it's always a mouthful that one, the Chalcedonian Creed and the Athanasian Creed, all of them had Jesus at the center. You're welcome to go look them up if you want, but they are there. They had Jesus at the center because Christians would gather to worship and honor and respect him. That's what we do when we get together. We remember what he's done for us. And if you're not sure from our singing this morning, from our time with communion, from our updates, let me just give you a a super quick refresher on what Jesus has done. If you have committed your life to Jesus, then Jesus has given you a life of purpose and significance. He has forgiven you every fault, every failing, every flaw. He has released you from any regrets and resentment. He has set you free from worry and anxiety because God has things under control. He's given you God's word to guide your steps. He has tapped into God's power to help you overcome your hurts and your hang-ups. He has equipped you with talents, abilities, skills, gifts to help others. He has encouraged you in the present and offered you hope for the future. He has welcomed you into a spiritual family where, where people will support and strengthen you, and he has given you a part to play in building his kingdom. That's worth celebrating, right? Yeah, I thought you'd be pretty pumped about that. One of the first Christians, Paul, when he was writing to the Greek church in the city of Emphasis, he put it like this. So be careful how you live. <clears throat> Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When the Christian church gathers together, we celebrate Jesus. We recognize his goodness, his grace. We show our gratitude, our gratefulness, and we give thanks for all that he has done for us. And when we do that with other Christians, something transformative happens in us. When you're standing alongside other Christians in worship, when you're trying to keep your eyes on Jesus, we end up seeing beyond ourselves and beyond our own problems. 
You might be familiar um, with this man, C.S. Lewis, maybe even aware of some of his spiritual journey. He was, he was one of the most outstanding minds of his generation, famous for uh, being a scholar, a professor, an author. He lived during the first half of the 20th century. If you've read or are familiar with the Chronicles of, the Nan- Chronicles of Narnia series, that was his best-selling fantasy series uh, of, of books for children. Well, C.S. Lewis had quite a troubled childhood. His mum died when he was young, and then he was shipped off to boarding school where he endured a lot of bullying and uh, other challenges. He ended up serving in the British Army during World War I and narrowly escaped being killed by um, some exploding shells in, in the Battle of the Somme. And by his early 20s, based on his childhood and some of his troubles and challenges, by his early 20s, Lewis had pretty much given up on God. The hurts and the heartaches that he'd gone through convinced him that God was absent and God was disinterested in this world. Well, eventually, through the influence um, of some of his friends and in his own search for deep joy, he opened up and, uh, and eventually became a Christian in his early 30s. And as soon as he did that, he became a weekly attender at his local church. But he really really had a disdain. He kind of disliked the whole thing. Let me share with you what he writes about it. I started attending my parish church on Sundays because I thought one ought to fly one's flag by some unmistakable sign. I was acting in obedience to a perhaps mistaken sense of honour. The idea of attending church was to me wholly unattractive. I had as little wish to be in the church as in the zoo. It was, to begin with, a wearisome get-together affair. I couldn't yet see how the concern of that sort should have anything to do with one's spiritual journey. And the time-wasting botheration of it all. The bells, the crowds, the umbrellas, the notices, the bustle, the perpetual arranging and organising. Hymns were, and are, extremely disagreeable to me. Of all musical instruments, I like the organ least. I have a sort of spiritual awkwardness which makes me disinclined to participate in any rite. Not a fan, right? Okay. And then gradually, Lewis came to realise that something transformative was happening in his soul, and he put it largely down to his connection with his church. Fourteen years later, he was interviewed about his faith, and he was asked why he was involved in his local church, and this is what he writes. When I first became a Christian, I disliked very much their hymns, which I considered to be fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. But as I went on, I saw the great merit of it. I came up against different people of different outlooks and different education, and then gradually my conceit, my pride, my self-importance began peeling off. I realized that the hymns, which were just sixth-rate music, were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic-sided boots in the opposite seat, and I realized that I wasn't fit to clean those boots. Church got me out of my solitary conceit. You know, keeping our eyes on Jesus takes our eyes off ourselves. We see our problems from his perspective. We see people the way that he sees people. I don't know if you remember in that video, 
Chris Martin from Coldplay, he said that he tries to look people in the eye at a concert. And there's tens of thousands of people at each show. And he said he can only maybe connect like, you know, with maybe a thousand people a night. But he said that creates a spider web of connections across the stadium. You think about the spider web of connections that are created by the Christian church. Millions of people around the world share that faith. Tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of people across this country. Thousands, maybe tens of thousands of Christians across this region. Hundreds, maybe even a few thousand believers in this town. And those connections are bigger and broader and deeper than any concert, any sporting event, any festival that we could go to. Christians have a unity and a commonality which transcends geography and generations. And that is only possible because Jesus promises to be present wherever and whenever his people gather. It doesn't matter if you go across the globe or if you just simply go across the street. Christians are held together by the presence of Jesus. I don't know what you think about that, but I think that's hugely powerful. There is something far greater, something significant. If you are part of the Christian church, you are part of something bigger and something better than anything we could ever do by ourselves. And so if you haven't already, I would encourage you to tap into that crowd of witnesses. Maybe you could read about some of those heroes from the past. Maybe you could find some of the saints in the present and lean on their stories and their strength during tough times. And we are, we are in the process of getting some uh, new groups up and rolling here at ABC. So if you are keen, if you want to be part of that, let me know or fill out the survey. We would love you to do that uh, before tonight and just kind of express your interest. But we want people to connect, to be part of that crowd of witnesses. And also encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus. Whatever you've got happening this week, maybe there's tension at home or trouble at work, remember that Jesus is with you. He promises to be with his people. And because of that, we are better together. Jesus has a plan, he has a purpose for his people. And when we work towards that, we are working together. If you want to know more about what we're working on here at ABC, feel free to talk with me afterwards or get onto the website or uh, talk with someone wearing a blue tag. There's a whole bunch of ministries here, children's ministries, teenage ministries, adult ministries. We are simply designed for us to be better together, to be the church. We are church. We are redeemed and chosen, trusting in the God of love, the God of hope, the God of atonement. We are church. We believe in one way, one truth, one life. Devoted, eyes fixed on the prize. Devoted to Christ. We are church. We put God first. We are like-minded people created in Christ for good works. Made in the image of greatness. Made to reflect the greatest love ever known. We are church. The light in the dark. The hope to the hopeless, a brand new start, peace for the broken heart, a love that has open arms. We are church, not four walls. We are a body of believers following the call, the call to know we are forgiven, the call to love without condition, the call to trust without division. 
our church. A community with open doors, serving the poor, living for more. We are broken people with a united cause, an unbroken love and a divided society proclaiming Jesus is Lord. This is what we do. We don't judge. We don't hold a grudge. We are not perfect, but we aspire to love. We are church.